Without a doubt, this year has had its share of disappointments and discouragement. Probably uh, for most of us, either sitting here in person or for you guys that are watching um, online, you've had something that you were looking forward to uh, this year that maybe didn't happen. That For some of you, maybe you had a special trip planned, and you were looking forward to this special trip, uh, but it got canceled because of a pandemic. For some of you, maybe this was the year that you were going to change jobs, or you are going to look forward to retirement, and then when the economy went south... Those plans quickly faded away as well. But maybe for some of you, it wasn't anything necessarily big. For some of you, maybe it was just something normal. That you were just looking forward to something kind of normal and getting back to normal, like a normal uh, family get-together. And you've been living through this pandemic, and uh, we were looking forward to maybe a time where you got together with your family for Thanksgiving and you had your, your normal, traditional Thanksgiving. Or maybe you've had a Christmas tradition that has happened by this point and it's normal and you've just been looking forward to it all year long. But something happened and that didn't take place. Either the, the normal got canceled or the plans got changed. And so this normal part of your life that's happened for so many years, maybe it didn't happen this year and it didn't happen. If it did happen, maybe it didn't feel normal because it didn't happen in the same way that it has. And so for many of us, you've kind of felt discouraged and disappointed. You felt like maybe you got robbed of Thanksgiving. And for some of you, maybe that's bleeding into Christmas, that you kind of feel like you're getting robbed of Christmas, that it just doesn't feel like Christmas is going to be complete this year because there's something out of place. There's just something not right. And, and so while we sing these songs about joy to the world, and we sang that just a second ago, and we hear that on the radio, for some of you, every time you see that song or you hear that song, you're just kind of in this turmoil because that's not fitting your life right now. You hear those words and you sing those words, but you just feel the discouragement of what's happened over this past year, that you're not really living in this joy that's come to the world. And so if that's you, then I want you to know, first off, you're not alone. There are thousands, if not millions or billions of people in this world that are feeling the same way you are at this moment. That things are just not right. And they're, they're kind of missing this idea of joy. And so some people are feeling the same way you are this morning. And so I'm praying that as we work through this text that uh, we will look at this text and we will rediscover this joy of Christmas. That even in our discouragements, even in our, our disappointments that we faced over the past year, that we can rediscover the joy of this season. We can rediscover the joy that comes with the birth of Christ. And to do that, we're going to look at two different passages. And I know I did that last week, and we're going to do that again this week. The first one is in Luke chapter 1. It's kind of the prequel of Christmas story. Luke's uh, Christmas story really is in chapter 2. Things come before it in chapter 1. So we're going to read just a short part of what happens in Luke chapter 1, uh, starting... Um, in uh, verse 41, I believe, yeah, uh, verse 41. And then we're going to flip over to First Peter chapter 1. And so maybe you can put your finger in there or, or put your little uh, bookmark in there. First Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5. So what we're going to see is the beginning of the joy, and then we're going to see reasons to continue the joy in First Peter. And so um, we're going to rediscover joy in our times of discouragement. So if you've got your Bible, uh, we're going to read in Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 41. We'll read down through verse 47, and then we'll flip over to 1 Peter 1. The words will be on the screens here beside me. But Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 41 says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside of her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, You are the most blessed of women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside of me. 
She who has believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Then we're going to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 5 there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 uh, starts off, and it says, You are being protected by God's power through the faith of a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice, or excuse me, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love Him, though you have not seen Him, and though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him, and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy." Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for who you are. God, we are so grateful for the joy that you have given us and the joy that we got to experience uh, in seeing a little baby Knox and, and getting to be part of his story. And uh, God, we are so excited about what you have in store for him and uh, God, just the plans that you've laid out for him. And so God, we are not excited about or only excited about the plans that you have for him, but God, that you have chosen us and allowed us to be part of his wonderful story. And so, God, we thank you for that. God, we rejoice in that. God, joy bubbles up inside of us with that. And God, this morning, there are many of us sitting here. There are many of us that are watching online, God, that, that we're almost going to miss Christmas this year. God, that we're almost so discouraged and so disappointed at the way things have turned out over the last weeks or months or maybe this last year, God, that we are really desperately searching for something to hold on to. And so, God, I pray this morning that wherever we are at, whether we are gathered here or whether we are gathered online, God, I pray this morning that we will seek joy in the one true place that it can be found. And God, that we will not only seek the joy, but we will rediscover that joy and we will experience an inexpressible joy, a joy, God, that we can't even describe. God, that's what your word promises us. And so, God, I pray that we will be students of your word. God, I pray that we will not only hear your word, that we will not only learn your word, but God, I pray this morning that we will live it out. God, that we will be overwhelmed this morning by what you have for us. So overwhelmed that it doesn't just carry us through today, but it carries us through tomorrow and the rest of this week and throughout this season, Father. And so God, we claim your joy. The joy that goes beyond all measure, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some of you have had the opportunity to uh, do some traveling out in the western part of the United States. And uh, I know that some of you, at least a few of you, have had the joy of visiting Yellowstone National Park. And I've never been there personally, and many of you may not have been there personally either. But even if you haven't been there, there's a good chance that you kind of seen some pictures or you're a little bit familiar with it. I mean, the, the, the wildlife there is just amazing. You've seen pictures of the bison and the bear. You've seen pictures of the elk that are there. Uh, chances are you've seen the elk, and, or excuse me, the wolves and the eagles and all these smaller creatures that live there. You've probably seen the rugged mountains and the beautiful waterfalls that are all part of it. And uh, This is a beautiful park, but what a lot of people don't realize about the beauty of this park is that when they're standing in this park, they are really standing on top of a super volcano that's right underneath them. 
You see, underneath their feet, where, almost regardless of where you're at in the park, uh, but in certain parts of the park, right underneath you is brewing uh, this, this geothermal activity that's pretty amazing. There's so much heat trapped there that it's just under this earth's crust, and it's building up and it's constantly looking for a way to get out. It's looking for a way to escape. And so one of the ways it does that is through these things called geysers. And some of you are seeing that. Some of them are not very famous. Some of them are not honestly very exciting to look at because some of them look like a mud puddle that just bubbles and burps and kind of boils every now and then. It kind of looks like a, a bowl of oatmeal that just is simmering, right? That's, that's not very exciting. That, that, you don't see pictures of those geysers very often. But my guess is if you've seen a geyser or a picture of a geyser from Yellowstone National Park, probably what you've seen is the one they call Old Faithful. And Old Faithful is called that because it erupts every 50 to 90 minutes, almost like clockwork. They can predict within 10 minutes of when it's going to erupt all day long. So about 20 times throughout the day, this thing erupts. And when it erupts, it shoots a column of water and steam about 180 feet in the air. Okay? Now just put it in perspective for you, that wall right there is about 10 feet. So multiply that wall times about 18, right? And you're just seeing this column of water and steam being shot up that far up in the air. And so uh, you've seen this kind of over and over and over again. And, 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 but any other time that you go to Old Faithful, you can't get right up on it. They won't let you right up on it. But if you were to go in between times, if you were to go when it wasn't erupting, you know what it would look like? Just a hole in the ground. At best, it would be a little puddle that maybe had some steam coming out. And so if you went to it any other time besides when it was erupting, you would probably be pretty disappointed. You would have all this expectation of how great this thing was going to be, and you walk up and you see this hole or this puddle with steam, and you're like, that looks just like that one over there. And you would probably be disappointed because the expectation was not there. But what you would see was that what you would come to understand is that what's happening right underneath you is what's leading to what's going to impress you. That what's happening underneath the surface is what's going to cause the big eruption that's going to cause you to, to be impressed. And so for some of us, the reason we're having trouble finding joy in our discouragement is because honestly we're only looking for things on the outside. We're only looking for that big, huge moment, that one big event in our life that brings us joy. And any other time in our life, we just see a hole. You see, sometimes we miss joy because we forget that joy is the response to the salvation that God has given to us. You see, the prequel of Christmas that we read earlier, Mary uh, has a much older cousin named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is honestly, she's beyond childbearing years. She has desperately wanted a child. Her husband, Zachariah, has desperately wanted a child. And, and so in the first century, if you were married and you didn't have a child, everybody viewed you as cursed. There was some reason that God hadn't blessed you with a child. You were cursed. There was something you were doing, some sin you were involved in, that God wasn't going to allow you to have a child. And so Mary, or excuse me, Elizabeth, she knows disappointment. Her husband, Zachariah, they know disappointment. And they know discouragement because year after year after year, they have to go to the temple. And I imagine they see people, kind of like a family reunion or an event they go to. Every year they go into the temple and they see these same people. And I imagine that every year those people ask them the same question. You got a child yet? And they just have to tell them, no, we don't. Do you know why? No. We don't. Well, what are you doing in your life that's causing you not to have a child? We don't know. 
We just know that God hasn't blessed us that way yet. And so year after year, she has this discouragement that comes to her. And, and so she finally ends that discouragement when an angel visited her husband, Zechariah, who was in the temple, and says, listen, your, child, your wife, she's going to have a child, um, and, and this is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. This is, be the for- this is what's going to start everything. Okay? So understand the story of John the Baptist, this is the bubbling, the heat that's building up underneath the surface for the big eruption that's going to happen. This is the stuff that we overlook, but it's so important because without this, we don't get the big eruption that's often impressive. We just see the whole. And we forget that what's going on underneath the hole. And so uh, Mary gets her own visit from Gabriel. And uh, he tells her that she's going to have a child. And uh, to confirm that she's pregnant, she can go, very, go visit Elizabeth, who's pregnant as well. And so up to this point, Mary hasn't known about Elizabeth's pregnancy. She hasn't known that, that they've got this blessing. So after Gabriel visits Mary, Mary goes and she visits her cousin. And she's really hoping to find some kind of clarity. That there is just so much to wrap her mind around. There's just so much, God, I don't understand this. And so she goes to Elizabeth, is kind of looking for confirmation. And as soon as she gets there, there's this eruption that starts to happen. If you want to look with me in verse 41, we read it. This eruption of joy starts here in verse 41. It says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she goes on to confirm what Gabriel told Mary, that yes, you're going to have a child. Yes, you are uh, the mother of the Lord. And, and then we skip on down to verse 44, and it says that, For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears... The baby leapt for joy inside of me. Now, when it says leapt for joy, he didn't just, John didn't just like move his arm. He didn't just kick, okay? This is like somersault inside of a, a lady's belly, okay? Now, some of you ladies, you've experienced that, but this is what he, she's describing. She said this was happening because of the joy. And so we have this amazing physical reaction to the salvation that God's offering, that, that John, the, the little baby that's in Elizabeth's womb at this time, recognizes the greatness of God and recognizes the greatness of the salvation that's coming through Christ. And he's so excited, he just can't contain it. The problem is he just can't express it in any other way except moving around. And so he has this amazing physical reaction, this amazing uh, recognition of the only way that he can uh, kind of erupt with joy is through jumping and leaping in his mother's womb. And this is an amazing reaction and this display of joy at the salvation that is coming, this eruption, this getting ready to happen, it's bubbling underneath it. But see, that's not the only expression of joy we have in this story. If you skip down to verse 46 and 47, you're going to see a different reaction to the joy of salvation that Christ brings in verse 46, Mary, this is, this is sometimes called Mary's uh, song or Mary's magnification. She says, my soul proclaims the greatness of God and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. You see, she, her soul proclaims or magnifies or glorifies the greatness of God. It, it, her spirit is rejoicing in her Savior. And I want you to notice something, that when it uses the word rejoiced there, rejoiced is a verb. Okay, now most of us, I'm not going to give you an English lesson, but, lesson, but most of you know this. A, a verb is an action, okay? And if it's an action, that means it's the result of either another action or a choice that someone made, 
Okay, Things don't just happen. If there's action, it's because somebody did something or somebody wanted something to happen and they chose for that to be the case. So I want you to see what I'm getting at here. Joy is a noun, but to rejoice is a verb. And so this is the result of uh, either something that's happened or the result of, of choice that she's made. She's choosing joy because God is her Savior. Now, I want you to miss this because this is so important. We read the story and we read about the Christmas story and we somewhat elevate uh, where Mary is and we're like, man, this is, it would be so great to be in Mary's shoes. If, if I could be Mary, it would just be so wonderful. But I want you to understand that at this time, Mary probably didn't think this was so great. Mary probably didn't really get excited about this because you got to understand that Mary is living in a time where when, if you were engaged, which she was, and you became pregnant before your official wedding, then you and your husband brought disgrace not only to you but to your whole family. Your child was mocked and ridiculed for the rest of their life. Your child was never going to have a place in society because they were, they were illegitimate. They were brought into marriage before the marriage existed. And so Mary's probably not excited about that. To make it even worse, she knows that this is not Joseph's child. Joseph knows this is not his child. And so take it a step further. Mary is living not only in a time when disgrace is brought upon her family, but she's living in a time where she is having a child that doesn't belong to her future husband, which means that she could face the death penalty for this. Now you understand why maybe she's not overwhelmed with joy. Because what Mary could have done as Mary could have sank into all of this what-ifs. She could have sank into all these moments of despair and discouragement. You see, Mary wanted a family. She had it pictured just like every mom is going to, every, every wife is going to. She had the perfect family. Her and Joseph were going to get married. They were going to have 2.5 kids. They were going to have the white picket fence. They were going to have two golden doodles that were there. Like They had this all pictured out. Okay, It was going to be the perfect traditional family. And all of a sudden, God shows up and is like, no, no, Mary, i got a totally different plan for you. And by the way, this plan could get you killed. You see, she could have focused on all that she lost out on. But instead, she chooses to focus on all that God is doing. She chooses to focus on the greatness of God. She chooses to focus on the salvation that God is bringing. So instead of choosing to focus on what she's losing, she chooses to focus on what is gaining, the, the salvation that is coming as a result of this pregnancy. So I want to share with this with you, that if you are looking to rediscover joy for this Christmas, the great place to start is where she does. Start by focusing on the greatness of God and the salvation that He's come to offer. Start by, by focusing where, on the joy that is this moment of Christmas. That this whole season is the eruption of joy, not only on this earth, but through all of heaven. And God's been working just underneath the surface this long, long time. You see, if we're going to rediscover joy, we've got to realize that it comes as a result of the salvation. And we're going to focus on that rather than anything else. We're going to focus on the joy just like John did and just like Mary did. And I'm guessing that there are some of you that are sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, Michael, I, I got it. Yeah, I know, I know. I know Jesus is the reason for the season. I know that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I, I got all that. I say it all the time. We sing about it all the time. Michael, I, I got that, but this year is different. There's still something missing this year. It's just different this year. And so this is the reason that we're going to flip over uh, to First Peter. Because we're still looking for joy. We realize that joy comes through salvation. And that's the only place we're going to find it. But for some of us, we need a little more encouragement. We need something to latch onto a little harder this morning. So we're going to look at First Peter. And as you're flipping there, I want you to realize that First Peter writes this letter to this group of Christians. Man, you're talking about people who understand disappointment and discouragement. 
this is them. In fact, that's part of the reason he writes this letter, because they are facing severe persecution. They're literally living one day to the next, wondering if the next time they get together in a church will be their last time. They are living kind of in what we would consider a house church. They live in a church, or they, they will meet together in a house, and they're just always wondering who's watching them go in this house and who's watching them come out, because they don't know if they're going to be arrested when they go in this house or not. That's the persecution they are facing. That's the life they are facing. They don't know if they're going to get blacklisted or lose their job because they went to church on Sunday. This is the discouragement and disappointment that these folks are living in. And so for some of us, we're not necessarily facing that type of persecution at this time in, in America. But for some of us, we need to realize that, that the writings of the New Testament are not always to joyful people. They're not always the people who are just super spiritual and on the spiritual high all the time. He's writing to people that are struggling. Man, it is tough for them. And he's writing them this letter of encouragement so that he can say, Listen, I I know it's difficult. I know it's painful. I know you have all these disappointments in your life, but you still have reasons to rejoice. And I want to point those out to you. I want to show you the reasons you have to rejoice despite all these difficulties you have. And so the very first one he points out to them is that you can rejoice because the situation you're in now, it's not going to last forever. It's only temporary. I, I know it's painful. I know the troubles that you're dealing with now and the troubles that, that you're dealing with, they'll, they're going to go away. They're not going to last forever. And this is what Peter reminds them of, both them and us, in verse 6. And he says, I want you to see this. You rejoice in this. And this points us back to verse 5 where he's talking about uh, the, God's protection and our faith in our salvation. He says, you rejoice in God's protection and the faith of your salvation, though now for a short time... You have had to struggle in various trials. Peter says, listen, I I know it's tough. I I know that some of you feel like you're pulled and you're pushed in every single direction right now. I know that some of you feel like that that you are so surrounded by the enemy that you are being attacked by every different force. And you're being attacked from every different angle. And for some of you, it's not just one problem you're dealing with. Because if it was one problem, man, you could handle that. But for some of you, it's financial pressures, and for some of you, it's anxiety, and for some of you, it's depression, and for some of you, it's it's problems at work, and for some of you, it's judgment that's out there everywhere you turn. For some of you, it's problems at home. For some of you, adversity is coming at you from every different angle. And you feel these various trials. He doesn't say, hey, you're just going through a trial right now, and it'll be okay. He says, no, you're in various trials. You're in lots of different trials all at one time. And some of you are starting to to wonder if if this is too much for you because you're feeling these various trials. You know what Peter's talking about here. You're beginning to wonder if this new normal that everybody's talking about is this is really what life is going to be like because you've lived it so long and yet you know that if this is what is coming, you can't handle it. That it's going to be too much for you. That, that you've been able to hold up so long for so much. But, but if this is going to continue, that you can't do this anymore. And this is where discouragement starts to set in. When all we see is struggle after struggle after struggle. And all we see is this, this problem and there's no end in sight. When, when you're so far down in a tunnel that you don't see the light at the other end. And even if you turned around, you don't see a light at that end of the tunnel either. Because at, at this point, you would just turn around. But you're so far in darkness at this moment because of these various trials that you don't even see an end. You wouldn't even know which direction to go in if you could go somewhere. And see, that's when we come back to what Peter says in verse 6. He says, yes, these are trials. These are struggles, and they are real, and they are hard. But don't miss this. They're for a short 
time. I know right now you're thinking, man, the last nine months have been terrible. The last nine months we've been dealing with this pandemic. And, and Michael, they don't feel short. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, they don't. It's been the longest nine months of my life. And I've never even been pregnant. But this is the longest nine months that I've ever experienced in my life. And some of you feel that. You know that. And i got news to share with you. And it's not good news. I can't tell you the next six months is going to be any better than the last nine months have been. I wish I could, but I can't. So, but I want you to do it like this. Take the last nine months and the next six months and put those together. And we've got 15 months. 15 months, and I'm just guessing. I don't take that as prophetic. Michael knows nothing that's going to happen. I don't even know what's happened this year, much less what's going to happen next year. Right? But here's what I do know. The struggles that we are in now will go away. That what you are facing right now, whether it's a pandemic or a recession or whatever it is, it's not going to last. And you're like, but Michael, it is. You don't understand how bad this is. I want you to think over the course of your life. I want you to picture a 15-month time span. Any other time in your life, can you picture and know everything that happened in a 15-month time span? My guess is probably not. I want you to think about where you were at five years ago today. And don't cheat and look on Facebook and it popped up a memory, okay? But what were your struggles five years ago today? Are they still with you? Some of them may be, but my guess is most of them haven't. Let me take you back even further. For some of us sitting here, this may be a little hard, but I want you to think back to when you were a teenager. And you had the life-ending disappointments. You know the ones I'm talking about where like somebody showed up at the prom with the same dress that you were wearing and your life was over. Okay? Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. All right? I'm with you, okay? Yeah, for some of you, it wasn't that. For some of you, it was that somebody stole the girl that you were dating or somebody had the car that you wanted and, and you were looking forward to something that your parents were, they were going to get you this car and you were so excited on your 16th birthday, your parents were going to get you this car and they showed up with like an old Volkswagen Beetle that was passed down from your brother, okay? And you're like this, I can't even be seen in public with this Beetle or this station wagon with the wood paneling down the side. I can't be seen. This is, my life is over, all right? Now, I don't know if you ever used that term or not, that your life was over, but my guess is if we're honest sitting in here, there's enough of us sitting in here and watching online, that most of us at some point thought our life was over because of this struggle we were in. Guess what? It wasn't over. You moved on. Your life moved on. And so think about the fact that those struggles seem so real. Those struggles seem so permanent. You thought your life was over in those moments. And let's be honest, some of it, you were just dramatic tea. But some of it was real. And you felt so disappointed and such discouragement in those moments that you didn't think you were going to move on, that this was going to be the end of everything. And we come back to First Peter and he says, listen, this is only a short time. You're in the struggle. And yes, these struggles are real. But it's only, it's only for a short time time. Peter says that, listen, I know, I know the struggles are there. I know the struggles are real, but listen, there is light at the end of the tunnel. This disappointment is not going to last forever. Peter says that you can rejoice in this. You can choose joy over the circumstances that are around you because God's going to carry you beyond these current circumstances that whatever is going through in your life, whether it's good or difficult, it's only temporary. It's only for a short time. And so there's light at the end of the tunnel. So we should rejoice that it's someday we're going to look back and we'll be like, yeah, there was a pandemic. I remember 2020. That was a terrible year. But it was ending. And God brought us to something else. 
And when we start to rediscover joy by looking that there is an end to this, we begin to discover that we can look beyond our disappointments because we start to see this bigger picture that, yes, there are trials and there are disappointments in this life. There are trials and there are painful and difficult situations, but God can use them for our good. I want you to notice something. We as Christians are the only ones that can have this this outlook on life. Have you ever thought about that? That when something bad happens in your life, when you are facing a trial, that we as believers in Christ are the only ones that can be somewhat optimistic in the face of a trial because we know that there's a God out there that can use anything bad and turn it into something good. Think about that for a moment. Not everybody has that. If you don't believe in God, then when something bad happens for you, that's it. It just stinks. And it's just terrible. And there's nothing good coming after it. There's, there's nothing good that, that the result... God's not doing anything. If there's no God, He's not doing anything that's going to make this any better. And so when someone who doesn't believe in God, when someone who's not a theist looks out at this world and they see struggles and they see pain and they see various trials, that's all there is. Can I share with you? No wonder our world is depressed. If this is as good as it gets, there's nothing to look forward to. There is no joy in any of that. So I want you to understand that when they see these trials, when the heartache is, there is no purpose for them. There's no bigger picture for them. This is as good as it's ever going to get. But because of Christmas, we have this opportunity to see the bigger picture. That this life is not all that there is. That God can do something good, even out of something terrible. And that's what Peter tells us in verse 7. He says that, that you're going through these various trials. You're going through these struggles. Get this, so that... The genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you pay attention to the gold market. I don't ever because I don't have any gold. But I found it this week that one ounce of gold, one ounce of gold is worth $1,800. That's less than a paper clip. In case you don't know, a paper clip weighs a, a little bit less, more than an ounce. $1,800. That's a lot of money for just a small amount of metal. But Peter says, listen, that's a lot, but you got something that's even more valuable. The, the faith that we have to endure trials that withstands this disappointment, it's going to result in something even better than gold. Do you see what he says? It, it's going to result in praise glory and honor but i want you to notice something that we often overlook in this verse because when we look when we see praise glory and honor we automatically think that's something that we give to god but not in this verse in this verse this is not something we're giving to god it's actually something that christ is bringing to us you see that the praise the glory and the honor isn't directed towards god it's directed to us that when our life is over either at the end of our lives or the coming of christ we get this praise. We get this glory. We get this honor. We get to hear those words that we long to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, we get to hear every or the words that every child longs to hear. Good job, son. Daughter, I am so proud of you. I love you and, and I am so proud of you that you have worked hard, that you have struggled, and you have made it. You did your best and I am so proud of you. I don't know of anything else in my life that I desire to hear more than my Creator to say that over me. This is the praise, the glory, and the honor that awaits us at the end. This is the big picture that we get to see. That even in our disappointment and our discouragement and all these trials, we persevere and we endure because at the end of it, 
There's something glorious waiting for us. Paul echoes this idea in Romans chapter 8, in verse 18. He echoes the same thought when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. You see, we start to look at this bigger picture. We start to see that God can turn pain and suffering into glory and joy. And Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor, put it this way. He says that the steps by which we ascend to the place of joy are usually, are usually moist with the tears that we've cried. Amidst the ashes of our pain lie the sparks of our joy, ready to flare up when it's breathed on by the Holy Spirit. Joy comes out of pain. You see, joy comes when we start to look at the big picture. It starts when we stop focusing on the pain and the disappointment in this life and we start to see the glorious future that are waiting us. It starts when we we begin to realize that God can do all of this stuff. He can take all this terrible stuff, all these disappointments, and He can do something great with it. See, joy grows when we start to see the big picture, but it also grows when we look beyond what our eyes see. See, part of the reason that so many people are having to rediscover joy or maybe even find joy in the first place is because we're looking in the wrong place. For so many of us, gathered here and gathered online, and for so many of us in the world, we've listened to this advice from all those that are around us, that, that happiness comes, that joy comes when you, with what you surround yourself with, or, or that our level of joy will increase with our bank account. And none of us would say that, but we think that. We live that way. But I want to share something with you. If that was true, if our level of joy increased with our bank account, then you would never have a millionaire that that dealt with anxiety or depression, would you? So maybe if it's not money or possessions, maybe it's power or people that bring us joy. Maybe if you surround yourself with fans that adore you or or people that want to be like you, that you can influence, maybe they will fill your life with joy, right? Well, if that were true, we would never hear of a politician or a celebrity ever dealing with an addiction or with depression, so maybe it's not a screaming crowd of followers, or maybe, maybe it's just something small. Maybe it's just a small group of people that you love. Maybe it's, if you just hold tight enough to your family and your friends, then you'll find this never-ending joy, right? right? Isn't that where joy comes from, the people around you? And i got to tell you, that only works in a world where kids never grow up and move away, in a world where parents never grow old and pass away. Because if that is your source of joy then it's going to go away. If that is your only source of joy, then those things are going to change. And so none of those things are inherently bad. Wealth, possessions, uh, people, and, and family, none of those are, inter- are inherently bad. But none of, you, none of those are going to bring you the ultimate joy that you're seeking. You see, fortunately for us in verse 8, Peter gives this answer to us. He, he reminds us the greatest joy that we can ever experience comes from loving and believing in something or someone that we don't even see. He writes in verse 8, he says, You love Him, talking about Christ, though you have not seen Him. And though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Did you hear that? He said, You're going to have just a little bit of joy in your life when you believe in Jesus. No, that's not what he says. He says you're going to have inexpressible joy. Joy that goes beyond our ability to describe it. Joy that is so great that we don't even have the words to do it justice. That even if we tried to tell you how joyful we are, we couldn't do it because we don't have the words to do it. That's the kind of joy that he promises. And Peter makes it clear the only way that you get this kind of joy is if you're looking in the one place that it's going to be found. The one place that's going to be found is when you love 
Christ, when you have a personal relationship with Christ, the only way that we can find this kind of joy, this indescribable joy, you're not going to find it with anything that your eyes see. You're not going to find it with anything that you're looking at. You're only going to find it because you love Christ with all that you are. You love Christ with all that you have. And you love Christ with all that you're ever going to be. You love Him. Even though you don't see Him, you feel Him. You love Him. Even though you don't see Him, you know He's there with you. And when the discouragement comes, you know He's right by your side. You believe Him, and you have this indescribable joy that is so beyond words that you can't even imagine. And I'm going to tell you that if you're looking for joy anywhere else, all you're finding is a cheap imitation that's going to wear out and leave you desperately looking for something else over and over and over again. Joy that is indescribable and glorious only comes from having a relationship with Christ, with loving Him. There's one final reason that we can have joy this Christmas season. It's because the joy of our salvation, our, our salvation joy, it's not just in the future. It's something that happens right now. See, this is the hole that we look at in the geyser. You see, we're waiting for the big eruption to take place. We're waiting for that moment that we are erupting. We're sent off into heaven. And we think that is all that salvation is, but it's not. There's something going on underneath. You see, our salvation is not just something we have in the future. It's something that we should have and rejoice in right now. And Peter makes this clear in verse 9. He says, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, you say, well, Michael, what does that mean? I want you to notice what he says. You are receiving. That's present tense. He's not that you will receive. This is not something you have to wait for. And wouldn't that be sad if the only thing, the only way we found joy is when we waited to die? And Peter says, no, no, you are receiving this. This is something that you can have right now. And so we lose joy if we only think that it's something in the future. We lose joy if we only think, i got to die to get it. Salvation is the work that Christ did when He died on the cross and He delivered us not only from death, but from the power of sin itself. You see, we, we realize that He brings us death into new life, but we forget that He delivered us from sin even in this present time. Peter tells us that we should rejoice because this is happening now. This is something that's going on even as we see, speak. You see, part of our salvation is when the Holy Spirit comes and He lives within us. He lives inside of us and He starts to transform us from the inside out. This is what's going on. This is part of our salvation. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes and He transforms us, we start to desire sin less, and we start to long for God even more. We start to, to realize that sin is less appetizing because God becomes the desire of our hearts. Sin loses its ability to hold us because we are drawing closer and closer and closer to our God and our Creator. You see, you realize that salvation present, it's the only reason that some of us are not alcoholics. Salvation present is the only reason that some of us are not drug addicts right now. Salvation present is the only reason that some of us have not been so consumed by greed and so consumed by lust that we are living on the streets wondering where our next meal comes from. That salvation present is the only reason that some of us have a marriage at all, much less a good one. You see, we have forgotten that salvation present is happening right now. You see, the only thing that separates me from the drug addicts and the alcoholics that I know so well is the fact that Jesus saved me from them before I fell into the hole. Before I got to that sin, Jesus already rescued me from that. He already delivered me from that. Even before I got there, even before I knew the hole was there and I was approaching it, Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to save you out of that before you ever get to it. We need to be thankful that God has saved us from stuff that we didn't even know was in our path. That ought to be a reason for us to rejoice. We don't just rejoice 
Because we have salvation in the future. We don't rejoice just because that one day when I die and I'm done with this world, I'm going to go to heaven. We can rejoice that all the sins that He has saved us from, even the ones that we didn't know were in our path and heading our way, that He's rescued us from destruction even now. You see, the joy of our salvation isn't just living in heaven. It's that we get to experience just a small portion of it right here on earth. The, the salvation joy is not just for the future. It's something that we can experience now. It, it, we should be living in this joy of our salvation right now. If we're going to rediscover joy in, in, in this season, then we've got to understand that Jesus is saving us. He is rescuing us. Not just in the future, but He is doing it right now. That He's watching over us. He's protecting us right now. And so for some of us, we need to realize that He is working underneath the surface of our life. That this is the super volcano under Old Faithful. That is just waiting for just the right time to erupt, but we're going to miss it if we're so busy looking to the future that we forget about what God is doing right now. This is the full joy of our salvation. I want you to know that this year has been filled with disappointment and discouragement. And I know that this year has not worked out the way that many of us have planned. But for all the reasons that we have to be discouraged, for all the reasons that we have to be disgruntled, for all the plans that got canceled, for all the things that we could have done or should have done or wanted to do, we have 10 million more reasons to rejoice. We have 10 million more reasons why we should join with Mary and say that my soul proclaims the greatness of God and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And so I hope this Christmas that you'll rediscover or maybe discover for the first time this inexpressible, glorious joy that comes with knowing and loving Christ as our Savior, not just in the future, but here in this moment right now. Let's pray together.